now as we sit at your feet lord god help us to hear what the spirit has to say we pray that jobin would be able to bring forth your word it will be on his lips and lord he would have all the strength to bring forth the word lord god heavenly father let your grace abound to him and abound to us and help us lord after listening to this to be able to obey your word lord god we ask you these things in the precious and most holy name of our lord and our savior jesus christ good morning in 1945 on the 6th and the 9th of august the world watched in horror as the united states dropped two nuclear bombs over the japanese cities of hiroshima and nagasaki taking the lives of more than 2 lakh people more than 2 lakh people were killed these weapons affected lives it changed lives and even years and years later future generations bore the after effects of that weapon i'm sure all of us know of this news and these images is forever there in the heart and the mind of humanity the world felt that this was a very powerful weapon at that time well today there could be weapons much stronger and more powerful but i believe years and years before this around 4 bc there was born an obscure man by the name of jesus i believe that he had the most powerful weapon he also constantly used it it also affected lives it changed them and years and years later even today future generations bear the after effects of this weapon used by the lord jesus christ Jesus's weapon was love. Jesus's weapon is love. And when Jesus demonstrated love or when he showed love, he was letting his children, the future generation know that love is the most excellent of way of life. Love is the most excellent way of life and that's how I've titled my sermon this morning. Listen to me bro- brothers and sisters. You know even though in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 13 and 14 apostle Paul desired deep down in his heart that believers ought to understand spiritual gifts which is the sure outcome of the holy spirit we've been studying about spiritual gifts the last 6 months and in chapter 13 i believe apostle Paul wants the believers to get to know about spiritual gifts but i believe he was more eager to talk about the quality of life which is also the outcome of the holy spirit spiritual gifts is the outcome of the holy spirit but the quality of christian life is also the outcome of the holy spirit and that is the attitude of love love is not just a term but it ought to become your and my way of life You know in in 1 Corinthians 13 the passage that was read to us by John 
Paul is not simply talking about love. He's not just talking about the term. He's not just explaining the term. But as I was just saying from the beginning, I want this to be there in our hearts and in our minds. We fully get it that it becomes our way of life. Because he talks about it in 1 Corinthians 14. You look at the screen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse he says, Follow the way of love. Follow the way of love so much so that it becomes our pattern. It becomes the basis of why we do anything in our churches today. Follow the way of love. It's not only here. If you look at Romans chapter 13 and verses 10, I don't want to read the whole verse, but it says that love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the fulfillment that God desires that should be demonstrated through every born again believer. Can I just remind us just for a minute? It's actually not only in 1 Corinthians 13, right? In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, Apostle Paul again talks about the quality of life. You understand? You remember? The quality of life, which again is the outcome of the Holy Spirit. And he begins by talking of the fruit of the Spirit. And can you tell me the answer? The fruit of the Spirit is first of all? Come on church, a little more louder. The fruit of the Spirit is? It is love. The outcome, it should, it ought to be your way and my way of life. Love is the most excellent way of life. You know, love can correct a lot of issues in our church today. Not just in our church, but in any church. Love can mend broken hearts. It can resolve misunderstandings. It can even repair relationships. It can make enemies become friends together. When love is practiced, when it is understood, when it is demonstrated, it can even melt a heart of stone and make it receptive unto God. Imagine a lot of problems that you and I can avoid if you and I were to continue to show this way of life, which is love. When Apostle Paul describes different personifications about love, it's like in chapter 13 when he talks about love, he's revising all the previous chapters that we looked at, all the way from chapter 1 to chapter 12. When he talks about the absence of love and the essence or the, the presence of problems, he thinks that's because there is no love, that there are these issues that are there that we've already studied about. He's talking about how the absence of love creates issues. And he also talks about how the demonstration of love causes resolution. It allows us to resolve our issues, our problems, our difficulties. I'm not going to look at verses 1, 2 and 3. I will look at that a little later from verses 8 onwards when we will study it, God willing. But today I want to concentrate on verses 4 onwards. I want us to learn about the personification of love. That should become our way of life. And listen to me, brothers and sisters. My prayer is that these personifications would only change us internally. It would change us personally. And it would change us permanently. I'll say that again. That it would change us eternally. That it would change us personally. That it would change us permanently. If you and I were to sit here and listen to this sermon and say, Wow, I just hope that that person on that far corner is trying to get the message across. It won't make any sense. That is the absence of love. But it should be our desire that you and I sit in God's presence and say, Well, how does this work in my life personally? 
that you and I learn to show love first from our life. And that's what I desire to do. From 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 onwards. The personifications of love that Apostle Paul describes to us. Look along, along with me to your scriptures. Number one, Apostle Paul says love is patient. He says that love is patient. You know what it means when it says that love is patient? It means it is to have the ability not to negatively react to situations. Listen to me. Love is patient means it is the ability not to, neg- to negatively react to situations even when we are not wrong. Well, that's love. Don't you and I love to use those moments to prove to people our innocence? Don't we love it when we would like to tell people why they are wrong? But even when we know that we are not wrong and somebody blames us, love is patient and that teaches us not to negatively react. Some of us might be wrongly accused. Some of us would be blamed. Some of us know that we deserve some sort of compensation. And yet, we are being quiet about the whole thing. That's patience. That is love demonstrated in patience. You know, because you and I cannot be patient, and because you and I feel that you and I deserve some kind of compensation, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you don't have to turn there. We studied about lawsuits. We studied about how believers cannot tolerate one another. You, do you know how much you hurt me? You know what I'm going to do? You know how I'm going to show it? I'm going to take you to the court. I'm going to hold you by your collar. I'm going to drag you because I deserve my innocence. Well, that is not love. And because of the absence of love, Apostle Paul had to deal with lawsuits in chapter 6. But it is being patient with one another. It is being patient with one another. Well, if any of us have been wronged today, and if any of us feel that you and I need to prove our innocence, can I encourage us to think differently? To say, well, even though I think I feel I deserve it, I would rather be quiet about it. Because that is love. It is being patient, even though I know I deserve But it's all right. It's absolutely fine. You look at the next personification. He says love is patient and he also says love is kind. You know what Apostle Paul is saying? Well, if you think you need to react to that situation, when somebody accuses you of something that you haven't done, you can react. But if you want to react, react with kindness. That's what Apostle Paul says. Be patient. And if you think you need to react, well, react with kindness. That's how you and I should respond to situations that are uncomfortable to us. There's this beautiful phrase that you find in the Gospels. When somebody, your enemy, does something wrong to you, respond in kindness. And by doing that, you will heap burning coals of fire on his head. Wow. What does that mean? Well, if I did something wrong to John... And then if John, instead of negatively responding to me, if John responds to me in kindness, it's like I'm catching a a, a bowl of coal. I'm wondering why John does not get irritated. And instead of irritating him, I'm carrying it around on my head. Because all the more I try to be wrong, I try to wrong John, somehow John is responding to me in kindness. That is the personification of love. It's easy to preach this from the pulpit. Yeah? How difficult it is for you and me to practice it. Not responding? Wow. And even if we respond to respond with kindness? 
Let's move on. Love is patient. Love is kind. Number three, please look into your Bibles. The word of God says that love does not envy. Let me add one more word to it. It says it does not envy nor does it boast. I want you to keep these two words in your mind. It says that love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. You know, envy and boast, in a sense, is the opposite of being patient and being kind to one another. Because in the original language, that's what Apostle Paul is talking about. The opposite, when I'm not patient with you, when I feel that I deserve it, when I think about myself, I'm jealous because I need it. And that's envious. And then I go and talk about it to everybody else and that's boasting. You know, it is the desire of the flesh to exalt the flesh. It is the flesh that feels that we deserve it. And if you remember, we studied this in chapter 3. That because of envy and boasting, there were divisions in the church. Do you remember those phrases that we read and we studied? Oh, some want to follow Apollos. Some want to follow Peter. Some want to follow Paul. Because we are envious. We boast. You have Apollos with you. We have Paul with us. You have Peter with you. We have so and so with us. And that causes boasting and envy within our churches. It causes envy and boasting within our church. But that is not what love is. So can you say it along with me? Love is? Louder. Love is? Number two, love is? Love does not? And love does not? You know, the word of God also reminds us that love is not rude. That's what the Bible says. Love is not rude. Well, that means that I care, that love cares, that I care about your reaction to what I say. And to how I say it. Because some of us can be very straightforward and we have this attitude that says, I will do and say whatever I want. It really doesn't matter to me. But that's not what love is. Love is not rude because it understands and it bothers about how you react to what and how I say it. Don't, uh, don't we many a times think about a particular situation that happened and say, I know I could have handled that a lot better. Well, that is the personification of love that says, I care about what you think of what I say and how I say it. It is also... The willingness to constantly put ourselves in somebody else's shoe. It's before we say it, before we behave with that person, it's constantly putting ourselves in somebody else's shoe. That's not being rude. How would I be able to tell you to do something that I know that I myself cannot do it? That's being rude. That's being rude. And that is not love. You know... When we constantly place ourselves in somebody else's shoes, when we constantly think about how this affects everybody else, it also talks about the next personification and that is love is not self-seeking. It is not selfish. And that is what I want us to understand. When we constantly do that, we stop thinking about ourselves. We understand how this situation affects somebody and everybody else. And therefore, when you and I do that, we begin to understand that love is not self-seeking. That love not only seeks for the good of their own, but also the good of others. 
I don't want to go back to that verse, but we know in Philippians chapter 2 about how the mind of Christ ought to be in you and it ought to be in us. And the mind of Christ is this, that you always need to put others ahead of yourself. Not to seek yourself, to put others ahead of yourselves. You know, one point that I want to take out from what we studied last month in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is about gifts that are honorable and dishonorable. You remember that? We spoke about gifts that are honorable and dishonorable. There are different levels of gifts in the local assembly. There are some gifts that we consider to be up there and some gifts that we consider not to be of so much of importance. Well, if you and I have a selfless kind of love, I will not only seek to exhibit my own, but I will look for ways to bring you out in the front as well. Because I am not here to seek the good of my own. My desire is that through your gift and through your gift, others will also be blessed. Well, if that is not the case, if that is not there in your mind or in my mind, love becomes self-seeking. The problem with love being self-seeking is that that is the anthem of the world today. That as long as I am cared for, as long as I am comfortable, and as long as I am loved, everything becomes all right. You know, the word of God also says that love is not easily angered. I'm glad that the word of God says that it is not easily angered. That means, or it allows us to understand that there is a place for anger. There is a time to be angry. Jesus himself got angry. There is a time to display anger, but listen, it is never at the expense of somebody else getting hurt. It is not at the expense of putting somebody else down. It is not at the expense that we abuse somebody just because I get angry. Because it is not easily angered. You remember how in Ephesians chapter 4, you don't have to turn there, verse 26, it says that, In your anger, do not commit. Come on. In your anger, do not commit. So there is a place. There is a time. There is a way. But that anger that is there in us should not cause us to commit any kind of sin. Anger should never lead to rage. Anger should never lead to hostility. But anger should be controlled by us because love would not easily get anger. Jovin should not easily get anger. And my action should not cause somebody else to fall down and stumble. That is why in that same portion in Ephesians 4, Apostle Paul reminds the believers and he says, don't let the sun go down in your... So even before it becomes too late, it would be better for us to resolve quickly before we allow our issues to fester within us. You know, probably this is a principle that you and I can adopt in our Christian life. That we would make it a point that we will not easily get angry. And even if something instigates our anger, and if we get irritated, that we will make it a promise to resolve before the sun goes down. Well, if I don't make an effort to resolve that, and if the sun goes down, I will forget it, and I will not talk about it ever again. Can that be a good principle? Yes or no? Think about it. That I will resolve before the sun goes down and if the sun goes down and if I've not done anything about it, then I can't talk about it ever, ever again. Do not let the sun go down while you get angry. Do not easily be angered. 
Listen to the next one. It says, Love keeps no records of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Some of us are smiling at this verse. Because you know exactly what the verse means. It does not desire, there is no love or interest to remind the other person of some things that happened in the past. Love keeps no record in the sense that there is no desire to bring up past offenses. To bring up offenses that are already resolved. That it is taken care of. That the sun is already set and the moon is up in the sky. But we don't talk about it ever again. It does not keep a record. It is easily forgiving and forever compassionate. For those of us who are in a marriage relationship, I am sure all or most of us would have loved to learn this lesson much early in our marriage life. Yes? It's not that the singles are perfect. But many of us who are in a marriage relationship often struggle with this. Because every or almost all fights begin with this phrase, Don't you remember what you did? Did you forget that I remember what happened 5, 10, 15, 20, 100 years back? And then the other spouse, or you and I catch ourselves wondering, how did my spouse remember the date and the time? Well, it does not keep a record of evil. It keeps no record of wrong. There is no record of it. I'm willing to let it go. I have the desire to let it go. So can you just look into your Bibles along with me and can we just say it from the beginning so that we are all on the same page. Number one, love is? Number two, love is? Love does not? Love does not? Love is not? Love is not? Yeah, self-seeking. Love is not? Easily angered and love does not keep a record of? Wrongs. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Look at the next verse that it says there. The next verse says, when it says that it does not keep any record of wrongs, verse 6, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. Love does not keep a, uh, uh, does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. You look at the original Greek language, the word in evil talks about incest. Not just about incest but all sexual sins. And I wonder why Apostle Paul spoke about incest or sexual sins. Well, it's about the immoral believer in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's the immoral life that he is living. And when you look at that brother who's living with his stepmother in the church, you can understand that love is not his attitude. Because he delighted in evil. Not just delighted in evil, he brought that evil to the church. And the problem with bringing that, when you and I tolerate evil, the church slowly became, became okay with his standard of living. But love does not delight in evil. And the church should have not allowed that sinful brother to continue in his immorality. But rather the word of God says that love delights in the truth. It delights in what is true. Brothers and sisters, listen to me carefully. When it says that love does not delight in evil, but delights in the truth, it says to speak in the truth. It's just not to watch. It's just not to say, well, I know that that person is doing something wrong. I am doing something wrong. But it is for us to talk about the truth in love. It is to talk about the truth in love. 
I immediately imagine the rich young man talking to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he was talking to the Lord Jesus, he had this conversation and Jesus, the word of God or the gospel says, Jesus looked at him in love. He loved him so much. And he said, this is the truth. Let it all go and come and follow me. But he could not. Even when the truth was spoken. You and I should not delight in evil, but you and I should always, always, always delight in the truth. To speak the truth of God's word. To speak the truth with the attitude of love to one another. So that through that attitude, you and I will learn what it means, what, what it is to show the personification of love. Look at the next verse. It says, in verse 7, that's the verse that appears on your screen, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Listen to me carefully. Love protects, love trusts, love hopes, and love perseveres. You know, brothers and sisters, to become mindful that my actions does not cause somebody else to stumble is to protect that believer in his or her Personal spiritual growth. That is what it means when it says that love always protects. And we read that in a couple of chapters earlier. It's about food being given to idols. Well, I don't have a problem with eating foods because I know that idols is absolutely nothing. But for the sake of my brother who is young in his relationship with the Lord, I will not do anything to cause that brother or that sister to stumble. And therefore love protects because even though this action means nothing to me, I keep it aside. I dress differently. I talk differently. Because none of these things might matter to me. But for somebody else in church it might. And for that person's sake, I will demonstrate love by protecting the spiritual growth of that believer. Well, that is how you and I show that love protects. You know, when my, when my love or my attitude of love becomes a stronghold on which others can become steadfast, well, that is the meaning it says that love always trusts. That you know that you can depend on me. That I know that I can always depend on you. That you become my stronghold. That I know that I can hold on to you and because of your love for me, my growth in the Lord Jesus Christ, it becomes steadfast. I trust in you. I know and I give you all my care and my attention knowing that I can completely and wholeheartedly trust in you. You know, it says that love always protects, love always trusts, and love always hopes. Now, we don't have enough time to explain this, but hope is the opposite of self-seeking. There are other verses in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians and in the Gospels. Love always hopes in good things. Now listen to me. But Apostle Paul takes it one step further. Love always hopes in good things, but the hope is that the good things can be shared among all born-again believers. That is the meaning of love. That I love you so much, that you love me so much, that I have hope in Christ, that every good thing that He gives to me is the same thing that I can enjoy with you. And that is when it becomes love. Well, what is love and church and fellowship if you and I cannot share the goodness that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ? That's because you and I can share. You know, that is the difference when after worship we gather together with our friends for lunch and we talk about everything else in the world. Well, that's just getting together. Well, that's just spending time. That's just chilling out. But when we come together in the hope that we have because of the Lord Jesus and talk about all the joy that we can share, that's fellowship. 
And there is a huge, huge difference. That's because love, love always, always hopes. And love perseveres is what the word of God says. Perseveres means to remain steadfast. Even in the most uncomfortable situations. You know, when it says love perseveres, it is beautiful because Apostle Paul had this idea in his mind that if there is anyone in the local assembly that is struggling, I want you to understand that you are not struggling alone. I can guarantee you that you have a shoulder to cry on. I will persevere with you. I will be there for you. You don't have to go through this alone. And that is why we hear a lot of good testimonies of brothers and sisters who stand up praising God and saying, I thank God for taking me through this situation and I thank God for that brother and that sister that was with me until the very end so that I never felt alone. Well, that is love. It perseveres. It's there. It looks at you and it says, everything's going to be alright and if it, if, even if it is not, you can be sure of the fact that you have at least one person standing with you. Can I just say this from the beginning again? And if you can say it with me, it will be really nice. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not rude. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but it delights in the truth and love always protects always trusts and always hopes and always perseveres probably some of us are sitting here this morning wondering why we feel so left out even though we are part of a community of 200 probably some of us sitting here wonder why nobody notices us. Why nobody understands the value that I bring to the church. Probably some of us have been wronged. Some of us are going through issues. Some of us find it difficult to talk to somebody else. But for just a brief moment, can I encourage all of us to keep all of that aside. And ask the Lord Jesus to place the personification of love within us. So that before I look at somebody else, I will be able to show that change through my life first. I'm sure there are some or most of us in the light of what we heard from God's word can pray this prayer and say, Lord, would you teach me kindness that I need to show to not delight in wrong, but to stand for the truth. And even if I have to say it, that I will say it, but I will say it in love that I will not be easily angered. And even if I will resolve and if I can't, I will learn to let it go. But that my brothers and my sisters in my local church will know that my love for them preserves them, hopes for them, protects them, and is trustworthy. Imagine a church where, you and, where, where there are born-again believers who learn to love one another. Well, if the church at Corinth had learned that, we would not have two books in the New Testament. But because of the absence of love, Paul had to write to them again and again and again and years and years later how it still is important for churches today. You know that well-known phrase where it says that people don't care how much you know unless they know how much you care. 
People don't really care how much you know. They don't care the kind of PPTs you show. But unless they know that you care for them. You know, one way how you and I can genuinely fall in love with one another. Please don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say. One way how you and I can genuinely fall in love with one another, brackets, showing Christ-like love to one another, is by living in obedience to God. When you and I live in obedience to God, when you and I reflect God's righteousness resulting in our Christian life, then God's righteousness teaches us to show love. Because this is humanly impossible. So I'll say that again. One genuine way how you and I can fall in love with one another and show Christ-like love to one another is by living in obedience to God. Take care of our relationship with God. When you and I take care of our relationship with God, God then imputes His righteousness and His, His righteousness in us allows us to demonstrate love to one another. When we pursue God, when we run behind God, God is the one who changes us to become more like Him. And to be able to show loving attitude towards everyone in and around us. That is what 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says. Beloved, let us love one another because love is, come on, love is of God. And everyone that loveth, he is born of God and he knows God. He that does not love God, he does not know God because God is his love. Well, Jobin, well, how do I love everyone in my church and how do I rectify things with that brother, that sister? Well, how do I not become self-seeking? Simple. Let's pursue God. Let's run behind God. Let's pursue the things that God desires in our Christian life so that when you and I do that, when we run behind God, when we are busy looking at the things of God, God's righteousness in us is slowly displayed through the attitude of love. God is the only person who can teach you to love me. And God is the only person who can teach me to love you. Because according to me, I don't think you deserve it. But according to God, I realize that even I, even I, don't deserve it. You know, John the Baptist was able to show this. John the Baptist was able to practice the way of love and life and even the way of righteousness. You look at Matthew chapter 21. Don't turn there. In verses 32, the word of God says, For John came to you in the way of righteousness. John was able to demonstrate the righteousness of God. John was able to demonstrate the righteousness of love to people. Because of the love that he had for God. And because he loved God so much, it was reflected in love that he ran behind people. And he said, guys, I want to tell you something important. Repent of your sins. Come. And as a sign of your repentance, let me dip you inside water. He was able to love sinners because of the love that he had for God. But you know, it was not only John the Baptist. Even Jesus the wonderful Son of God, He lived in complete obedience to His heavenly Father. Listen to me. Jesus lived a righteous life and He always, always showed absolute love, care and compassion. Jesus showed the full extent of His love in John's Gospel chapter 13 by washing the feet of His Disciples, that's what the word of God says. And when he knew that his time had come, he wanted to show those that he loved the full extent of his love 
by washing their feet. I want you to think about that for a minute. He washed dirty, calloused, smelling feet. The hand that molded the universe is now washing that feet clean and wiping it dry. Well, that's love. Dirty, calloused, smelly feet. You know, dear friends, Jesus' desire is also the washing, not just of our physical feet, but of our soul from sin and eternal damnation. The verse that I've put on your screen is Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. And it talks about the outpouring of the love of God. The outpouring of the love of God. And the outpouring of the love of God, the extent of God's love, is just at the right time. That's what the word of God says. At the right time. And you know what? Your state and my state did not help. Because at the right time, when we were ungodly, when we were powerless, God demonstrated his love by dying for us on the cross of Calvary. Dirty, calloused, and smelly hearts were washed clean by the same hands that had suspended the universe that was now held on the cross of Calvary with nails. God's desire is not just a physical, but a spiritual change. And that is the best demonstration of love that is there in the world today. Like I had mentioned to you that there are examples that people of this world that they would give you about the greatest weapon but I think it was the weapon that Jesus used which was love love not only changes the present generation but it changes the future generations as well and my prayer and my desire is that if anyone sitting here either you've been coming to this fellowship for a very long time or you're here for the very first time or you're hearing something like this for the very first time but you've never opened your heart to the Lord Jesus. Let the love of God pour out on you right now to make you realize that at the right time that you are ungodly, that God loved you so much that he was willing to die for your sin and for your shame on the cross of Calvary. And if there is anybody sitting here like that, my humble request is that you would open your heart and ask the Lord Jesus to come and live inside. When the Lord's love comes inside your heart, it overflows. And when you walk in obedience and in the righteousness of God, His love is demonstrated then through our actions by which you and I can learn to love one another. So would you please open your heart and would you ask the Lord Jesus to come and live inside. Calvary Bible Fellowship. Can I encourage us from God's holy word to re-examine our standing, our love for the brothers and sisters in our church? Can I ask all of us to take a minute and find out if our love is personified in at least some of these ways that we just studied right now? Because you keep all of these things in your mind and then if you were to read verses 1, 2 and 3, it makes a lot of sense. I can stand here and be as eloquent as I can. And I can talk to you about the wonders of this world. But all that I would be doing, all that I actually am, is a clanging cymbal. I'm just making noise. It won't make any sense if I cannot go out of this pulpit and learn to love the sheep that I pasture. Because love is the most important attitude of all. Love is not just saying that it is there within me. It is letting you know that I truly care. For you. Can we just close our eyes and bow our heads?
brothers and sisters in the in the light of god's word today how is our relationship with the lord jesus christ how would you and i fare how would you and i be standing if any of us are struggling in our relationship with the lord jesus christ can you take a minute and set things right with god can you tell him lord i have learned to show love according to my standard my righteousness lord would you please forgive me and teach me to love you to love my brothers and sisters the way you loved us and if there's any of us sitting here who's struggling in our love relationship in our love languages with our brothers and our sisters can we take a minute and ask the lord to forgive us and set things right with him if there is any of my brother my sister who's sitting here who has not asked the lord jesus to come and live into your heart can i ask you to open your heart right now you can pray along with me by saying Jesus I confess that I am a sinner would you please forgive me would you make me your child the word of god says to those who call upon the lord to them he has given them the privilege to be called his holy children if you make that decision we welcome you into the family of god and as we pray and we as we close i want all of us to examine our own lives to understand that more than anything else in this world god desires that we show the best way of life which is the which is the exhibiting of christ like love shall we pray our gracious god our loving and our living heavenly father we are joyful for the fact that you loved us you simply loved us we can't understand why we do not want to argue but we realize that if it was not for your love that we would not be sitting in thy holy presence Thank you Father for teaching to us these aspects or these personifications of love. Would you allow us to demonstrate this to one another in the days to come? Father, enable us to realize that we are going to live with each other for all eternity in your presence and therefore let us practice doing that on the earth right now. We put our weaknesses, our shortcomings into your presence and we pray that you would forgive and that you would install in us Christ like love. we eagerly look forward to your coming that is what the table reminds us that we will worship you face to face and lord we believe in the light of god's word that today can be the day that you are to return and if you are to come today we will see love face to face what a joy what a joy and lord if if you choose to tarry for reasons that's known only to you father we pray for the week ahead of us weak christians that we would go ahead in the in the strength that god gives to us and be able to show love i pray for my friends who have not yet accepted you that they would open their heart that they would stop being stone hearted but melt because of the love of christ for them on the cross bless the time it is in your precious name we ask and we pray